I am so excited to be with an extremely gifted actress who for a decade played one of the Bill's most legendary characters, and let's be honest, it was never the same without her. She also kept Del Boy in check at Nag's head and graced a big screen in one of cinema's greatest triumphs. Nula Conwell, welcome to the Bill Podcast. Oh, thank you very much, Oliver. Thank you, thank you for having me here oh, today. Lovely to be here. We're all so chuffed that you're doing this. There's going to be a you. lot of happy fans <laughs> around. The Bill is back on the Drama Channel and it's gone, it walked for the beat right back to the first series. So when did you find out this was going to happen and what was your reaction to suddenly, I mean, it was in all the tabloids, the Bill's coming back, lots of buzz... I was actually on holiday uh, in Spain, in Andalusia, where there's not much of a signal going on. And then I'd go out for the day and then suddenly get bombarded with all these messages and everything saying, the bill's back on. Have you seen the pictures in the paper? Why aren't you in the pictures? And it was it was all kind of coming at me. I normally see Trudy on a regular basis and I hadn't had a chance in the summer to catch up with her. We were both really busy doing stuff. So that was the kind of first that I heard about it. I was really rather pleased. I thought it was really, really good. And I suppose for me, because I was killed off, it was kind of quite nice because there's no way, obviously, I can be back on it unless you're on Dynasty or something and get shot in the shower and everyone (laughs) seems to come back. (laughs) But it was kind of like a a way of kind of being back on it and rejuvenating and high profile. And so actually was quite nice and I think the series is quite good so yeah it was all good really. I mean could you have ever imagined when you were making it that three decades on your work be revisited but also a new audience enjoying it all over again? No I couldn't and and I think you know I had very very little to do in the early days I think my first ever episode I had two lines or something And then my character obviously grew and the writers get to know you and they write for your character. There's probably bits of you in that character, if we're all honest, I suppose. (laughs) And then that kind of makes the character. So everything kind of evolved and, and I loved doing the bill and I was very proud of what I did. And no, I didn't ever know that three decades on. And also because I've got young they're not teenagers one's 20 one's 22 they'll send me like messages saying mum you know our friends have been talking about it and I say that's my mum so that's all kind of quite exciting because apart from reaching new audience it's reaching our young people too do you know what I mean yeah if that oh, makes yeah. sense yeah when did you first get the acting bug was it in the family genes or where does it come from well, my father and mother are both Irish. My grandmother on my father's side was on the stage. I actually started acting when I was about 12. I went to Annasher Theatre in Islington and that was held in, in a hall on a council estate and we used to get kicked out by the bingo ladies about 8 o'clock and that was like 50p. That was really where I started out. So it's not the big story that I paid a, all my family had a lot of money and I went to mm. Barda or... I mean, I just started off going to a drama club because I love drama. Then I, from a very early age, started to get jobs, I guess, and jobbing actress. And I think it just kind of naturally evolved for me. What I did do 
was during my second year of my A-levels. I was doing about four A-levels and I got offered to do Pauline's Quirks. Yes. And it was very appealing and the money was good. And it was me, Pauline Quirk and Linda Robson. And I left my A-levels to do that. And kind of always had a bit of a, a lifelong kind of regret, really, that I shouldn't have done that. I should have stuck with it. But, you know, hey, that's life. And I always kept on thinking that I'd missed out. Really, I should have done that. And I talked to quite a lot of people about it. And then life just took a strange turn for me because my husband works as in the music industry and has done for about 35 years. Work often takes him away from home. And then we had family. The kids were at school. He was abroad. He was tour manager and he wasn't there for about four months I got offered about three quite big jobs through my agent and I have to say they're away from home and I was like, I can't do this. And then something had to give. Then I found myself having to be based very much at home to be with both of my now young people. (laughs) I wanted to find a job that had the school holidays and I kept racking my brains and people said, well, what about teaching? I was like, I just laugh, like (laughs) me, you're joking. Didn't even finish my A-levels or anything. No way. And then I kind of got to know that, you know, quite a lot of people in the arts work in education. Cut a long story short, I went with an agency. Yeah, you'd be great at school. I started working at a school, started working as a teaching assistant. So did another friend of mine. And they were very, very short of teachers and desperate to get people into teaching. And she said, you know what, Lou, why don't we just go and do a degree? And I just laughed at her. And she said, no, I'm being serious. I've got all the prospectus and everything at the IOE, the Institute of Education, which is one of the flagship you know, universities for teaching and everything. It was just extraordinary because we gave our CVs in and we got this reply back saying, you've been accepted on the degree course. And I couldn't take it seriously, Oliver. I just couldn't take it seriously. I was like, me doing a degree. So I did a foundation degree and it was really, really hard work because I was still working four days a week doing the degree course. And then when we'd done the foundation course... Because we'd done the foundation, we could do a bachelor's in a year instead of three years. So I went on to do that. And I think it was just quite extraordinary. I kind of just felt in a funny kind of way that it was just meant to be. And it was revisiting being in education and English department and Shakespeare and and all of this stuff that I just, I never really did in a way, made me feel really complete, you know, that Mm. I'd kind of done that and... I felt like it was adding to my confidence. I wasn't always very confident at reading and it really, really has helped working in the drama faculty, helping with the productions and I still do a bit of teaching now. My passion is still acting, I have to say. You know, I think there are a lot of actors that have just said, right, no, that's it, I don't want to do that anymore, I want to teach. And for me, because my two are at university now, you know, which I'm really proud of, I kind of feel like I've come the full circle and I'm much freer to do whatever I want now. So I can go out on those tours or I can go and work in a different city. I can go and work in a different country if I want. So I feel really kind of in a good place, you know, and I feel like it's kind of added to my experience, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. I'm energised just listening to you talking about it. Oh, you're proud of yourself. Yeah, I am. Yeah, it was quite surreal having my graduation ceremony and having Hannah and Elliot and Martin there. But, 
No, it's quite wonderful, really. Yeah, really good. Really, really happy about that. Yeah, I'm very proud. So all of that time that I didn't do my A-levels and I should have done this and I should have done that, somehow life just has these twists and turns and that's kind of the way it worked out. But I don't just want to be a teacher in the classroom with every respect to all those wonderful teachers that do. I still feel very passionate about wanting to do my acting, stage, film, voiceovers. As I say now, I just feel even more empowered to do that than ever because I've got the freedom and the choice and I've kind of hopefully been a good mum and been there for them, as my husband has, and that's the way life has gone for us, yeah. you know, so that's good. There's obviously something about you that I also ad- admire in your acting. There's a this quiet poise about you, even when looking at Pauline's quirks. I mean, you're 17. Mm-hmm. you look like you've been doing it for years and years and years there's a a lovely poise yeah. to your performance yeah. I mean if I was 17 and suddenly doing like television I'd have been bricking myself yeah. to be honest you know but you look really at ease and I think that's that's what was different about Anna Schurz because she was a school teacher and she had a club after school and then it grew and then we had the hall in Bentham Court and then we had the theatre in Islington So it was genuinely young people that liked doing drama. So it's a very, very different approach with all respect to having parents that, you know, have the money and are able to afford or have the desire or whatever for for the future, uh, you know, of what they see for for their young people as a future in acting. And it, it isn't always like that. And maybe it's something with a lot of us that just comes from within I've always been a a big people watcher I love to watch people I've always really loved accents and it's interesting actually because Anna Sher always used to say because we used to have all the workshops and everything you know I really feel like you're going to come into your own when you're much older because you're a real character actress and I think to a large extent that that's probably true I mean my my first job when I left the bill was doing misery That was an enormous challenge, but I do think that's probably one of the finest pieces of work that I've ever done, and I think I can do it again. Yeah, you know, yeah, I can. You did it with the late great Ray Lonnon. That's right, I did. Ray was a friend of mine. Yeah, yes, and very sadly, two thousand and fourteen. That's right. Yeah, Yeah, he he passed away. He had a very brave battle with cancer. He went out a working actor, which meant a lot to him and his family. Yeah, but he yes. had the poster of misery on his like wall of fame. Oh, that wow. obviously meant something to him as it does to you. Well, yeah, because there was only two of us, and Bill Kenwright had the production in the West End, and then we took it out to Leatherhead, and then we took it out after that to the Liverpool Playhouse. So there's, it's, it's a two-hander. That's <laughs> it. It's just he and I, and I think we only had about three weeks to rehearse it. I mean, it's just such a fantastic, fantastic part. A wonderful opportunity. My husband actually cried when he first came to see it. He said, I could not believe that that was my wife that was on stage. And I think I'm really proud of that. You know, it's like the more I can hide under the makeup and be somebody completely different and older and don't quite look how I do in real life, I think the more exciting it becomes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, more you can go to play, you know. Yeah, and I had a voice coach as well, and it extended up at the Liverpool Playhouse as well. Wow. Yeah, so very, very exciting job after doing something like The Bill for such a long time, going and doing something so, so completely different. It was very liberating, actually. I, I really enjoyed it. 
I mean, as much as I love the bill, it's just a different type of work. And even being in the field of education, it's like me. So it's it's constantly like new challenges, I guess. And you'd done loads before the bill. I mean, yeah, you were I very had. established by then. I had, yeah. You had on your CV like one of the greatest British movies ever made yeah. in The Elephant Man. I so did, yeah. How, how were you cast in that and what are your memories of working on that film? It's really strange, but all of these parts just seem to be like... I went along for a casting. It was very natural. I probably didn't really know the enormity of the film. There was me and Leslie Dunlop. We were the two Irish nurses. They had this amazing lighting guy, Freddie Francis, and they were going to shoot it in the West End. And you kind of think, hmm, you know, that, that sounds amazing. And yet... When I actually went and met the director and everything, it was just just very natural and very calm. And I think I've been very lucky in a lot of the things that I've done. Even if I've had a small part, they've actually the job's been bigger than the part. If that makes the, mm. the the project, the film, or whatever it happens to be. All of my life, I think all of my jobs have started like that. It's like my agent would say, "It's only two lines in the bill." or it's only one scene in Only Fools and Horses, or it's only a couple of scenes as a nurse. But the things I've been involved in have actually been quite wonderful things as well. Well, yeah. So I've been very lucky. Eight Oscar nominations yeah, for that film. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I've got the book at home, and I've got my picture. and <sighs> So, yeah, I've, I've been involved in some really, really wonderful projects. I'm mm. very lucky. Yeah. Some people have one hit TV series on their resume. They have two with Only Fools as well. Well, yeah. Well, the story goes with that. It became a bit of a conflict of interest because I got this job on Only Fools and Horses as Maureen the barmaid. And we used to do Only Fools and Horses. We used to do it in a live audience on a Sunday. I did two or three series, just a few episodes. And then I got cast in the bill. And I got asked to do To Hull and Back Again, which was a Christmas special in Only Fools and Horses. And I very much wanted to do it. And I went to see Peter Cregine at that point because I was getting more involved in the bill. And they wouldn't release me from the bill Mm. because it was a conflict of interest. So I was in two very, very high profile shows, you know, on different channels. And... I'd been up for London's Burning as well. Oh, wow. They wanted to recruit a a firewoman, and they knew about the bill. I didn't know there was going to be another series made, but they did, and they were like, if you got offered another series in the bill, would you take it? And I was like, they're going to make another series, aren't they? And we (laughs) all started laughing. Because obviously I had a really established character by then, yeah, it was kind of quite a nice time, really, being, you know, involved, as you say, with quite high-profile sort of shows and things. So it was good. And you've got good. some lovely moments in, in Only Falls. My favourite line of yours is, ain't customers stupid? And it cuts to <laughs> Del Boy, agrees, and think, I'm a customer, hang on a minute. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and a nice bit of business where he's carrying two drinks and Ken McDonald said, I'll get a fiver off Dell. And he said, it's in my pocket. And you have to put your hands yeah, in his, his trouser pocket. pocket and yeah, then he's yeah, like, yeah. no, it's in my jacket pocket. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice bit of business. Yeah, yeah. I remember that now. Again, I'm doing an Only Force Nurses convention in a couple of weeks' time. Brilliant. Yeah, which is really good. 
uh, that is obviously hugely successful and sells out, you know, within minutes. But I'm doing it with some of my contemporaries, Gwyneth Strong and Tessa Pete Jones. We're all sort of contemporaries, similar sort of age. We're in it together. Again, even projects that I've been involved with, like The Bill or Only Fools and Horses, are sort of still having another life, if you like. Yeah. There's obviously a whole appreciation society out there for that programme too. So I guess I'm quite lucky, really. Very much so. Yeah. John Sullivan's writing, Jeff McQueen's writing, two men yeah. no longer with us. And I mean, they have obviously got to see the success, but it's a shame we don't see the continuing yes. success, that legacy. Yeah. I mean, I think what was good about Only Falls and Horses is that it kind of really moved with the times. Mm. And that was key. It kept going forward because it kept moving with the times. And I think, to a large degree, I think the bill did as well. I think it was very contemporary. I think a lot of the issues that they tackled were everyday issues. There was always like two or three storylines within each episode. And I think people just really enjoyed it. And I don't really think, usually you kind of see the Zed cars or whatever, or the bill, and then that goes, and then you see another police series that takes over. I don't really think there has been a, another one. And I think when it all folded, we kind of thought, oh, well, there will be something else. But with the, the style that it was done and the handheld camera and the content, I don't really think that there has been anything that's really replaced that. And also very much about the characters and not their private lives, which mm. is something that was very, very different about the bill. And I think there was that element of always kind of keeping you guessing more about the characters. The characters were your own. You could look into whatever you wanted, if that makes sense. Yeah, so yeah. there's that kind of intrigue that you don't have everything. There's still that kind of mystery, if you like. Mm. Yeah, I mean, let's talk about Viv because she maintained a mystery and never really got to know about her private life. I mean, there's a very cute moment with Mark Hadigan playing PC Abel when he goes walking the beat with you for the first time and he's kind of nervously trying to ask what you did at the weekend mm. and you say, are you trying to ask me if I've got a boyfriend, Tim? Yeah. And he's like, oh, oh don't, don't make fun of me. She explains, oh, there's a, a few people I see, you know. He says, oh, I suppose the job is difficult. You know, no. I'm just very fussy. Yeah. Know? And it's just little moments. I think I kind of deliberately wanted to play it like that. You know, I was the first woman up in the CID. I wanted my character to be really strong and to be taken, obviously, very seriously. And I didn't want anything else to get in the way. So it was about my life and my profession and how I'd progressed to get into the CID and how I played out within that, sometimes very sort of male-dominant world, if you like. Mm. So people didn't really need to know any more about me. That was just as much as I felt that people needed to know. And because we don't go into... Well, we didn't go into people's private lives at the time when I, you know, when I was in it, then I think that it was more powerful for me to keep that mystery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If that sounds right. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's lovely little moments... May I share a few of my favourites? Yes. I mean, this, this is only a little You're gag. You're very knowledgeable, Oliver. <laughs> oh, well, it, it, watching your work is an absolute pleasure. <laughs> There's a lovely little moment. This is in an episode called Sunday Sunday, and you're walking with Colin Blumenau okay. through the station. You say, Taff, who's that weirdo with the Bible? Taff says, he's been done for indecent exposure. And you say, ooh, where is he? <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, I think my humour probably is a bit like that, to be <laughs> to be honest. So I suppose that's like a bit of what you know yourself that that comes into the character. Then isn't mm. it? You know, a lot of the the men used to say, "Oh, just like one of the boys," and mm. you know, and I think that that was quite nice for me with my character, to be honest. And yeah, just moments like that where you just fun a bit of banter mm. it's everyday life and really well that's what i love about it as well because i mean you, you have an episode like sunhill karma series three all right yeah. okay yeah viv is is talking about joining a bermuda police force all right yes he's having a good time and saying about trudy oh come on it'd be great we go to bermuda and then you've got a, a jumper and 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 you try and stop her jumping and she just says i'm sorry and 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 falls yeah and you're just broken and crushed and it's a beautiful performance by you. we don't see Viv cry a lot yeah and when she does you know it's like yeah this is yeah yeah a horrible thing now then you have this great sort of breakdown with Trudy and it's talking about well if it had been one of the boys you know they'd have probably stopped her even Reg she says even Reg could have probably grabbed her but what use am I going to be you know yeah 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 I guess that there is moments like that that are really important and even just to flick back with you know, the Dell boy, there's some very, very touching moments, yeah. you know, in, in that. I think when the babies, they lose a baby, that's right. In every series or whatever, there's a time when you kind of see another side of a character or you see an emotion because at times it must be like that. They've got that series on at the moment, the Ambulance series, mm. which I've quite enjoyed watching. But there's sort of quite emotional moments in that where they have to deal with real life everyday tragedies I guess yeah and being in the bill you're portraying the police is no different is it really no I mean that that moment where you you, you try to stop that lady like two minutes before you're sat having a chocolate bar of Robert Hudson yeah, in a car yeah. just having a natter yeah. and then you're getting kicked in the stomach as a fight outside yeah, a pub yeah. and then yeah. someone's falling like so much your whole world changes in that short yeah. moment which I suppose it does for the real police yeah of know. course yeah I'm sure that there's Probably a whole bunch of certain cases that they live with forever because that's the nature of, of, of doing that job. When we first started to do the bill, we watched a huge traffic accident. Peter Cushin sat all the cars down and he said, right, you're going to see a really big accident. And there was a, a minibus that had crashed. There was a coach that had overturned. There was loads of different vehicles and it was very, very dramatic. And he said to all of the cast, the drama is in what happens. The drama's not in you. Mm. And I think that was the best bit of advice that he could ever have given us because you go about your... Like you've said, you very occasionally see that vulnerability. Mm. But what's happened is bigger than your emotion because it's something that you are dealing with every day. Yeah. And there's going to be times when you are seen to be vulnerable, but primarily that's your job. I mean, if you saw a, a police officer acting in that panicked way, I mean, it's such a good thing that Peter Christine said to me and it's really, really carried me through. And even if I watch an actor and they're overreacting, if they're a nurse or a doctor or in, in any sort of walk or life, I think... They're not behaving like a police officer. They're not behaving like a doctor. Mm. So I think you have to fundamentally get those things right. Mm. And even before I started doing the bill, I had a couple of friends that were in the police force and I actually went out. From, it's like, how do you hold your radio? How do you do this? How do you hold yourself? Because that's important about how you present yourself 
to portray that character realistically. You can't be an actor wearing that uniform. You have to be that person, and they have to believe that about you. Anyway, that's how I see it. Well, it obviously works when they went to the twice-weekly half-hours. Am I right that you weren't given a regular contract until they... I mean, by Series 3, you're getting main storylines. Yeah. It wasn't really until they went into the two half-hours that yeah. I became a regular character. Yeah. yeah. And they were edging their bets, you see. Yeah. And I thought, no, well, we might as well pay her and have her on board now. Damn right. <laughs> you're, in the, you're in the title sequence with Trudy. Yeah. Uh, must have been a wonderful time in your life. It was a really wonderful time in her life. And, you know, we're, there's still a group of us that are great friends because it's such a big part of our lives. And, you know, we went through marriages. There, You know, they came to our wedding. Babies were born. The kids have grown up and and everything's evolved. And we still see each other. There's still a group of us that are very, very much in touch with each other and the bill was a very very big part of our life i think it's really nice because it shows how genuine everything really was mm. i've seen trudy in a couple of weeks time <laughs> and our partners you know her partner and you know my partner and eric's and really lovely people they're very very dear friends to me still it's the magic's on screen for all of us to enjoy mm. it is genuine there's a moment where suddenly Every other episode is mm. a Viv episode. Mm. It, it gets into series five. They really start to make the most of you, and you you start getting some some gold dust. They seem to have some fun with you and Tony Scannell at Loggerheads. Oh right, yeah, yeah. Where, where you get the bit between your teeth. Debbie Arnold plays your old oh, right, school friend, yes, and she's yes. a Tom, and she gets a, assaulted. Yeah. And you're a friend of the family, and they're, they're told to warn off the dad, but he goes out and attacks this diplomat mm -hmm. and you've got this amazing scene with Tony Scannell where you just let rip into him yeah I think again I think that was like he was in the CID he quite fancied himself as a ladies man and I think I came along I think the writers saw something some chemistry there that they could see us two challenging each other mm. I think it was really good I think I did at one point end up doing quite a lot of scenes with Tony and I think that we were both very powerful characters and that male-female sort of conflict and I think it worked very well. There's a cracking episode called No Strings where it's yeah. you, Tony Scowl and Paul O'Grady in a car on an obo and we don't see Tony at first and you and Paul O'Grady are exchanging makeup tips yeah. And you start saying, well, you know, they, they mention avocado is really good for the skin, but I can't afford avocado. And it's just this genius pan round to Tony Scanlon, who's just like, shall I get my knitting out? You know, will you two please <laughs> shut up and watch that door? <laughs> and Paul O'Grady says, well, you've already got wrinkles anyway. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's just brilliant. Sort of macho character that Tony Scanlon was, and yeah. it's just a sort of moment, yeah. And then you both go inside to this nightclub. You're, you're both dancing to, which I'm guessing they dubbed on afterwards, you're probably doing it because of the dialogue. Yeah. An instrumental version of A Little Respect by Erasure. Yeah. In 1989 here. And you said, <laughs> I'd never thought I'd have to say this, Ted, but can you get a bit closer? That's right, we loop. were undercover. That's, That's right. right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember that, yeah. yeah. I thought I'd never have to say this, but can you just get a bit closer to me? So, yeah, that sort of portrays that kind of tension that there was and that she was sort of 
know, she could hold her own, Viv. Oh, you yeah. Know, definitely hold her own and, you know, challenge somebody like him. But, yeah, that just sort of joking aside sort of thing. Yeah, it's good. I mean, you obviously picked up on it as well, so. Oh, yeah. One of my favourites is loads. There's so many. I mean, that's, this is, that's the first of a trilogy of great episodes. Two episodes later... You're being held hostage by Vaz Blackwood in a prison. Oh, God, yes. I remember that episode. You're bringing it all back to me. That was really brilliant, that episode. I remember that. I really enjoyed doing that. That was written by Barry Appleton. He yes. Clearly, uh, he writes well for Viv. Mm. He did write very well for me. And obviously, if you write for the series, because we had so many different writers, the writers are always going to sort of prefer characters or see a chemistry. Mm. So I've got a lot to be thankful for for him. Yeah. He did write very well for me. Two episodes after that, you're being shot at. It's an episode called No Shelter. You and Eamon Walker are out in the oh, rain. Right, yes. And, and it's a it's just a Sunday morning and you're told that someone's acting suspicious around a garage and you go and investigate and this yeah, guy pulls yeah. out a shooter. So you're bringing it all back to me now, all these episodes that yeah. I've forgotten all about. <laughs> well, you're so brave in it because you take this guy on and chase him and you try and throw something at his windshield and he takes a shot at you and then they pick Viv up. And Viv being Viv... She's told to stay in the car by Roger Leach when he passes some yeah, more yeah, people yeah. causing trouble and she gets out to get stuck yeah, in bed no, she gets a big scratch on her face, face as well and but I think it's that kind of equality thing as well it's like that I'm representing women and that we want to get out there and the woman police officer is not going to sit in the car you know she's going to try and get out there mm. be equal although you know it's a hard shout because everybody's always going to be looking out for each other but I guess it's not the way I would want to portray her character. She's not going to be sitting in the car while all the guys are out there. She's going to just get stuck in. And if, you, if you're if you in the CID or whatever, then, you know, that's what you're going to do. You're going to be out there and you're going to be a part of it all. It, depending on the situation, which I do think we were very successful in the bill, is depending on gender. Sometimes a woman could be very useful in situations or a man or depending mm. on very much the, the situation... I do still believe that that can be true, mm. actually, that there are times, I don't know, a domestic or whatever, or there are times when we can work together and be more useful to each other as gender, mm. male and female, I think, in the forces, personally. Well, it's a great episode where you're, uh, it's called Kidding. You're frustrated about domestic violence cases because you know from experience in the yeah, storyline yeah, yeah, yeah. that the women won't prosecute their husbands yeah, right okay yeah and you yeah. go around a flat and the husband's home yeah and he's like no come on in come on in Viv. Yeah. and 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 you get right up to his face and because he's like oh you know you should mm. pop around again oh don't you worry i might just do that yeah yeah well i think that's probably still relevant i mean it is you know something awful that goes on behind closed doors mm. and we all know that by by the time that the police or the law get involved that a lot of the time it it doesn't get carried through so I guess it's that thing that the police know that it's happened and obviously f feel for the woman or the man in, you know, whatever case. Mm. And then it doesn't get carried through. Yeah. Um, and I think, it, you know, to have something like a sort of dramatic moment like that is a, probably a very true pro portrayal of how police often feel. I gave that to you quite a lot, actually, especially when you joined CID, where you'd have a you'd have a case 
but mm. everyone's telling you, you can't solve and then you solve it and then from another circumstance the case gets dropped and you're like I've done all that yeah yeah I mean, one for the boys is the classic one we've joined oh, yes. cid and you're, yeah. you're sent out to bring in tosh's witness and you, you have got this marvelous chase scene hopping on buses telling conductors oh, God, to shut Jess. up and running in high heels ter- tearing your brand new suit you yeah. know it's, it's it's gold dust stuff and you must have had a lot of fun yeah i did have a lot of fun really 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 enjoyed it um i, I you know we we come off set and we just laugh about it you know because we had such a really brilliant brilliant time i think the writers got to know us and a lot of these episodes situations evolved you know it's like are you up to it it's like yeah i can jump on and off buses and do this and go undercover in a night because it was fun yeah it was really a lot of fun making the bill you know the fans are the favorite of yours when when you're you're chucked into some mud on a building site yes i remember that very well and your your line do you remember what you said to the builder You'll have to remind me. I, I know I had my hand up. Yeah. Because that picture was entered for a competition. Was it really? Yeah, it oh. was. I think, oh. that, I think that that picture, I know I had my yeah. hand, but I can't remember the line. What was the yeah, line? The then? line often quoted by Bill fans is, I'll have you. Yeah, I'll have you. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. yeah, I literally was in that mud in that trench and I, I distinctly I think it was on Sunday morning or something yeah. that we shot that yeah <laughs> I mean you, you talk um, you're filming out and about on, on the streets chases and things by now I mean there's like 15 million people watching you every week I mm. mean you, your personal life being recognised fame mm. celebrity how did you deal with that and, and do you remember a moment where suddenly it was like oh everyone knows who I am on the street um yes of course i mean that just comes with the job and there's Mm. there's good bits about that and then there's bits that sometimes can be quite difficult it it comes with the territory you know i I mostly embraced it that the people that want you to sign the autographs are the people that watch it and if you don't have an audience Mm. then you don't have a show I think holidays and things like that, obviously, you have to be quite discreet about where, mm. you know, where you go. You're not going to go somewhere where you think your target audience are, if you want privacy or whatever. And also, to a certain extent, I think, and I know Trudy shares this, that you kind of have to sort of have your own privacy with your family and times when it's not appropriate for mm. people to be signing autographs or doing things do do you know what I mean I mean if you're an actor and you're in a a high profile program you either stick with that or if you start feeling really bad about that then you probably shouldn't be doing it but I don't ever really remember that being a problem Mm. because people were sort of mostly very complimentary about the program it was a very happy time for me I do remember when I got married there were lots of the cast coming and we had several offers from okay and hello and all different that sort of... magazines and papers that wanted to be there and we absolutely said no to mm. everything and i'm really pleased that i made that decision that to me that was private there were a lot of my friends i wanted everybody to relax mm. and i didn't want any of the press there they really tried to persuade us and we said no so things like that i mean each actor has to make their own choice about things like that, but I am a very private person, and that's the choice that I made. I know I made the right choice, 
all of that lovely day that we had with all our friends, you know, Trudy and Eric and Mark and, you know, too many of them to mention are all, all my memories. It wasn't splashed all over the press or whatever. And that is still, you know, something that's a very private part of me and, and, and my dear friends. Yeah, yeah. I remember after you left the bill, there was like a woman's own feature on you, you know. Although, interestingly, when you look at it, it's not interview with Nula Conwell, it's interview with the Bills with Martella. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll come on to how and why you left and what an exit, but is it ever frustrating that character is being talked about, but the very clever lady bringing her to life? I don't know, really. I think you have to sort of... You have to look at the nature of what magazine it is or what newspaper it is, what your target audience is, what whoever's going to read it. You know, they're mostly headlines to engage people. Maybe the character's bigger than the actor themselves. Do you know what I mean? Mm. There's, there's more interest. To a certain extent, I, I, for me personally, all of my dealings, mostly I'd say with the press, I feel like I've been in control. Mm. I don't ever feel that I did things that I regret or that I said or, you know, I've always been very private, you know, respected everybody that, that I worked with. And so I don't really have any kind of bad regrets. And you know what? I just think, well, if Women's Own kind of report it like that, then that's the nature of the beast sort of thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't really have any bad feelings about that. No. But mm. that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, leaving, that was your decision. Yeah, I think that I'd come to a point and, you know, Peter Cugine had sort of spoken to me a little bit before that and I think it was just time to move on, really. And I think it was when it went to the three episodes a week that I started to feel quite differently about it. I was getting married and thinking about having a family and, as you do, like, life was sort of moving on. And I think it was the right thing, really. Mm. 18 and a half million, highest viewing figure ever. So I don't know if they were either glad to get rid of me or everybody wanted to watch. I don't know, I still find that quite strange, the the, sort of the enormity of of all of that. Was it a surprise that you were being killed off? Like nowadays, they... I didn't, yeah, I didn't actually know what my exit was going to be, to be fair. I didn't know. Every now and again, there'd be like a really big sensational storyline in the bill. And I think that they very much used that. But we had a bit of a problem when we were filming it because suddenly like this net curtain would go back and this great big lens would come oh. out. I think that they got wind of where we were filming and then we had this big meeting and the producer said, look, this is what's happened. But it kind of turned it around because I think it because it started to get leaked. They were like, oh, there's a big storyline coming up. And in the end, it kind of helped, I think. And we got, as I say, you know, the, the highest viewing figure ever. So, ever had, yeah. 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 So, yeah, so that, that was how I left. I could see the pride on your face about that. I mean, that's, well, quite rightly too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think it was. And I think for me as well, the joy of all these things like we've been talking about is all of these things evolve from something very small and it's taking those opportunities in life where, you know, somebody didn't offer me 
a, a huge leading role in a series that was going to be very successful and offer the highest viewing figure ever. They're things that evolve, so it, you have to take those opportunities. You have to make your decisions mm. about those things. A bit like me with my teaching, I guess. Like You never know where these things are going to go. And I don't know, it seems to be quite a lot of the time that those kind of things happen for me like that. I don't know why, but they do. And then life after the bill, and we've talked bits about what you've been doing, and you've done Love, Honour, Obey, yeah. uh, you've done more TV, you went back to sitcom with the upper hand. Yeah, very that's good. right. Yeah. Ah, I've got to ask you about this, because you, you did Cluedo. Oh, God, right, yes. Yeah, you were partnering up with John Virgo. And yes. Snooker, I love the bill and I love Snooker. So <laughs> digging right. out that episode, I was like, tick. Yeah. yeah. You did a lot like that show business. Obviously, profile was very high yeah. after. Yeah, yeah. I think that there's always those sort of programmes that you can get involved, which, again, are a lot of fun. Mm. Yeah, I was very lucky to get offered stuff like that. I was sort of moving in a direction, obviously, where I did want to think about having a family. As I said, my partner is involved in music and he was away from home quite a lot. So it kind of suited me, really, because it... I mean, when you're that high profile in a programme, we'd be getting up at half past five in the morning and in the makeup chair by 6.15 or filming late at night. And I think there's periods in your life where your career's, like, really, really important. Mm. And then suddenly like motherhood takes over or you know you get married or some other thing happens in your life and during that time for that period of time you know it can take over and I want very much not to to be so high profile and to not do so much and to enjoy that time of motherhood and I'm incredibly proud of being married, obviously, and, you know, having my two now at university because I really feel I was there and I was a mum and did loads of, you know, the swimming lessons and the ballet and the football and the this and that, you know, and I enjoyed it. It was fantastic. So I'm kind of really happy the way things have gone for me. I'm right back out there now and I'm ready to have another challenge. And that and that has happened, you know, it's starting to happen to me, to be fair. I've been up for film recently and a new series and watch this space oh exciting watch this space see what happens we certainly all will I mean we can't wait to see you back on the box back on the big screen and if there was a dream project you could do or someone that you really admire that you'd love to work with or or doesn't it work like that it doesn't work like that for me Oliver it doesn't work like that I don't know some little thing will come along or I don't know there'll be some little opening and I'll probably just take the opportunity and it will lead to the yellow brick road who knows Mm. I don't know (laughs) well something we ask people to do you've given your time very generously for free we ask people listening to the podcast to donate to a charity of interviewee's choice so is there a charity that means anything to you that you'd like people to donate to? I think the homeless definitely without a shadow of a doubt is the thing that I feel really really strongly about I don't tend to give homeless people money but I do give them food and I have been known to where I live to give clothes and things to people and it is something that I feel strongly about I actually go to work a lot of mornings and if I see somebody on the street I quite often give fruit and things away because mm. I think well at least when they wake up 
you know, they've got something. But it's something that I feel really strongly about. And actually, my son knew that because um, he was studying in Brighton. He said, oh, mum, there's so many more people down in Brighton that are homeless. It's kind of raising that awareness of people that don't even have a bed, you know, to mm. sleep in. So I think anything to do with shelter or homeless is definitely... In fact, we were quite involved with the, the church where we used to live and they used to have like a, a winter sort of open house and they kept it going throughout the whole of the year where they, you know, they could go and get a, a meal and sleep over and you know, we helped quite a lot with that project. And on Christmas Day and Christmas Eve, you can all just go in and help prepare all the food and then they have like a big open house where they can just all come. So very close to my mm. heart, that one. I'll pop a, a link to shelter. Yeah, lovely. That would be amazing. Yeah, that would be my choice, definitely. And what is your message to fans of the bill who will be beyond ecstatic to listen to your memories today? What's your message to them? It was a wonderful time, I think, in our lives. We just all started out as very sort of normal, ordinary people, characters that liked acting. And everything that you see has probably got a bit of us, a lot of us. They just wrote for us and the bill evolved and it was very, very exciting. I think it was the first of its kind where we didn't have any rehearsal, we used handheld camera, it was very much at the forefront and I think that everybody that was a part of it are, are incredibly proud and including me, so I'm glad that I accepted my two lines. Thank you very much, Peter Grigine. Good night and thank you. Mila <laughs> Conwell, legend. Thank you so much. Thank you too. Enjoyed it immensely. to have just spent that time in the delightful company of Nuala Conwell. I am so grateful to Nuala for sharing her memories. She is one of the all-time great actors of The Bill and I was so inspired to hear about her education and what she's been up to since The Bill. She's making things happen and I really can't wait to see her back on the stage and screen. She's a very clever and talented actor and a really lovely person. So she deserves to be back stealing scenes again. nominated charity is Shelter, who believe that everyone should have a home. It's the third time that homelessness has been the subject of a nominated charity on this podcast. So if you haven't been able to make a donation before on any of the podcasts, I'd urge you that this would be a good one to start with, seeing as both Ashley Gunstock and Greg Donaldson have also brought up this subject. So either visit shelter.org.uk to make a donation or do as Greg and Nula have done. They've actually given fruit and clothes to people, so perhaps try that as well. Make a difference to someone's day. My huge thanks also to another legend, to Trudy Goodwin, for kindly putting in a good word with Nola and helping to make that interview happen. How magic that these actors that we all love are still such good pals in real life. And she said to Nula as we walked back to the station after the recording, I think that is quite rare for actors after 25 years uh, to still be hanging out socially, unrelated to conventions or organised reunions. Those friendships have endured, and that's obviously a huge reason why the original cast had such chemistry, and it's still there for us all to enjoy. 
another of the original cast and all-time greats that's coming up next on the Build podcast. Both Trudy and Nula still see this great man socially, and I can't tell you how much I enjoy taking him for a trip down memory lane. So get ready for a two-part special with the exceptional actor who brought Sergeant Bob Cryer to life. Raise the roof, ladies and gents, for Mr. Eric Richard. Next time on The Bill Podcast. Well, The Bill moved things in 1984. Not in 83 when they did the pilot, because that was different. But when we went to 84, we were a very self-contained little unit. We were made by Thames Television, but we weren't attached to Thames. We had our location in the East End in Wapping. We were a small group of actors, small company of actors. And it was like being in a small-scale theatre. And we used to tease each other about it. It was like being on the road. It was like we were all working together. And we were encouraged to do that. Peter Grigine, who was the major director at the time, and Michael Chapman, who was the producer, they wanted a sense of drama documentary. So it is interesting that in the two major characters, Cryer and John Salthouse's character, Galloway, is that they chose actors who had some reputation for improvisation.